Women Bridging the Gap is a freewheeling conversation co-hosted by Lenya Wilson and myself, Alexandra Detalia. Listen to our conversations while we discuss race and womanhood at the hearth level. We're having a check-in today, and what's interesting is that Lenya, who is a competitive powerlifter, you know, with COVID, fell a little bit off the wagon. A little? A lot. All right. Fell a lot <laughs> off the wagon. And what's interesting is that, and part of that's the pandemic because everything got canceled. And so yeah. she just said like this really important thing that really resonated with me because you said, I have to find the fun again. Yeah. And that's just what's so incredible about when you're passionate about something, sometimes you can like really fall out of it. And you have to go back and refine the fun because when I really thought about what I wanted to do, like I had to, I had massive discussions with my food coach and with friends of mine. And I thought about it the, and I was like, when was I having the most fun with my training? And it was with my old powerlifting coach. Like the training was a lot of fun. It probably wasn't geared enough towards competition, which is why I, I probably, well, I, I needed to get a different coach for that. But I had the most fun training with him and I was the most fit. That's the other thing that I have lost so much fitness. So I went back to him and you know what? I am having a lot of fun, but see, now I'm making sure I carve time out of my day. I have fell off the wagon on so many things too. It wasn't just the training, it was my diet and everything. I gained so much weight. I finally lost everything and I'm back down to like my weight. 13 pounds. Wow. 13 pounds. That's a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I did gain like a COVID-15 very quickly in the beginning and that's all gone, but hard to know where I am now because I look in the mirror and in COVID world, I'm like, I look great. And I, you know, but I know that if I, when I get in some regular clothes, I'm probably still going to be a little flabby, but I'm working on it slowly, but I'm, I'm hoping once I get my income tax return, there'll be a little bit of cash there that maybe I hire a trainer for a couple of months to really jump start me like I've been working out like three or four times a week pretty I've been doing well and I'm starting to get back into it but I can just feel like I'm slower I want to be pushed I don't feel there is something for me about doing a house workout that doesn't feel real I mean it makes me feel like some middle-aged like I go to the gym and I feel like I'm pumping, you know, I'm like, you know, in with the big weights, I'm looking in the mirror, you know, I've always been lucky with kind of being cut on my arms. And so I'm like, Oh, look at me, you know, and now I'm like some middle-aged flabby woman, like in my studio, you know, doing like cardio boxing to video. Like I'm, I don't know. It's annoying. I do not like the picture I'm painting of myself, but that's hilarious. I'm never going back to a gym again. I feel like I have made my garage into the the ultimate Lenya gym studio. If I had a room that I could totally make into a studio, but right now I have my law school professor teaching area, like where I, you know, walk around and teach standing up. And then I have my desk here where I write and do the podcast. I have my art studio, like over in this direction. And then I have a huge mat on my floor right here, which I walk on every day. And that's my gym. It's, 
no, it's close. <laughs> like yeah, that's I mean, a lot. You know, it's a lot for this room. And then I, you know, there's a guy who lives across the street from me, Eddie. And oh, he's the one who works out in the front yard. And his music <laughs> is so loud, right? And he plays like really loud Donna Summer and really loud disco from the 70s. He played the Bee Gees are on. Oh my and God. He has a complete weight rack out there. And I just was like, Eddie, wear a fucking mask and I'll come work out with you. Like I will, I mean, we know each other. I, we go to the same, we used to go to the same gym. But he does not wear a mask. So alas, I am not walking across the street. So he wouldn't put on a mask just to work out with you? I don't think so. Well, I don't Did think you he ask? wants to work out with me. Oh, I okay. Ask. I'm shy. I don't think he wants to go work out with me. Why not? People like buddies. I wish I had. So- I mean, if you lived closer, I'd be like, come to my house. That's I true. have everything here. All right. I Maybe have, like- next time I see him, could you see me? I mean, I'm sorry. I'm a New Jersey Italian American, and now I'm going to be working out in the front lawn with some big bald guy who works out shirtless. Hey, you got to do what you got to do. That's bringing a lot of New Jersey. That's okay. Forefront. All right. I don't. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing (laughs) wrong with that. I'm going to start wearing. I'll wear the chains. And I am going to start wearing the sweatpants, like pushed up to my knees. Do you remember that in the 80s? Oh my God, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Oh God, I was such such a snob. You can slap me. Oh God, that was horrible. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're finding the fun because I have to say that is how, like I felt with my writing when I was working on these essays and I'm still working on them, but it started getting their heavy, You know, it's all about the language. And during COVID, it just started feeling like work. And I laugh. I can make anything seem like work. Like I laugh. (laughs) I could suck the fun out of anything because I'm so compulsive. So (laughs) I just started writing this project I don't really want to talk about, but it is like just fun. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I am having so much fun. It's a thousand words a day. I just am able to get out almost a thousand words a day in the morning. And I'm so happy. And it's just, I was like, I love writing again. This is so much fun. Like I wake up most mornings feeling kind of excited to be alive as long as I don't look in the mirror. <laughs> I looked in the mirror the other day for the first time, like really looked in the mirror. I was, and I was like, oh, I'm much, much smaller, but I'm different. It just look, I just look so different these days. You look great. I mean, well, you do transform yourself. I mean, you are a woman who transforms herself. I mean, you, when I met you, you looked one way, then you went through the wig phase and now you have another, you know, you're in another phase, but I really love it. Before though, I have been in this phase before. This is just, you know, my hair is growing out, but you know, I'll be back into this phase where you, when you met me, Maybe in about two years, it'll take my hair to cry. But I love this right now. I mean, I love it. I I mean, I, you know. I'm trying to get used to it. It is hard because it's hard to feel feminine when your hair is so short. That is such a, you know what bothers me about that is that really does reflect conditioning. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you look so beautifully feminine, but I do understand the idea. I mean, my I cut my hair off in 20... 
15 or 16. And I went all the way to that Bob. I think it's kind of when I met you, like I was like here. Yeah. It was and I liked it for a day. And then it was as much vitamin E and collagen as I could swallow to get my hair to grow back. And it took a really long time, but it really did. One, you have to do more to it and I'm lazy. And I'm, I mean, I have good hair, so I don't never have to do much. But with it that length, I either look like, like a soccer mom, which I'm not, or I needed to really do it and put product in it because I like my hair kind of, you know, thick and to make it look that way. And I just, and I did feel not feminine enough. And because I have big features, I I just wasn't comfortable. But I know that's crazy because my mother had big features and she cut her hair super short and she looked so striking and elegant. But then I was like, well, that's because she was like five feet tall and 78 pounds. Like I couldn't, I don't know. So I get it, but you look feminine, but I, I mean, but I get the feeling. Yeah. Especially because, you know, most of the time I'm not really wearing decent clothes. I mean, lately with the job, I have been having to wear clothes again. How's your resolutions going? How's your sleep going? So those marijuana gummies have really impacted my recovery. I'm excited. You know, they don't sell those gummies at my local store. So now I have um, to, I'm going to find them. Well, they're, uh, yeah, they, I have them uh, out here at Stash. That's where I get, I don't know if they, they sell that brand actually at the other place down the street, but I just don't like that place. They were kind of racist to Kaneem when we were, and I don't want to, I'm very much of the mind now where I'm not going to shop where I don't feel comfortable. Oh, absolutely. You shouldn't. I mean, at, well, I don't, you know, you shouldn't, of course you shouldn't, regardless of race, nobody, you speak with your dollar in this country. We need to realize that, you know, so of course you shouldn't. It's, so far, so good on working out and writing the two things I really, and me, the concept of me first, I think I've been actually pretty good at so far, so good, you know, and I'm trying not to take on any other projects. Like I get really excited. I found these courses online. I was like, Oh, I'm going to take these courses. Alex, don't take on anything else. So I'm getting better at that. So it's black history month. Yes. And you have thoughts. Black History Month, like so many things, is both needed and patronizing. Very interesting. Yes. You know, just like when we talk about we have history and then we have, you know, African-American history or even like the UC system or it's the Cal State system is talking about having to add ethnic studies. I was like, that's both good because we need it, but also mm-hmm. patronizing because if you look at the history of our country, it's all ethnic studies. So I, it, it is, it's crazy to me. So that same thing with Black History Month is it is an integral part of U.S. history. So I don't understand why it isn't just taught in the school system through the entire, like laced through everything because it's everything. And then if we want to have a special history on top to sort of make reparations or have healing moments, I think we can do so. But it feels, let's just stick it all in February and ignore it the rest of the year. So that's my basic opinion. Does that resonate with me? You know, I just feel like African-American history, because I'm going to say African-American. Yes. History is part of American history. And I don't understand why it has to be a one month thing. It should just be integrated in history. It's history. You know, Um, absolutely. Absolutely. 
I found a post actually today and I posted it on my Instagram. I've been, and I thought it's interesting that you brought this up. This is a guy wrote, my hope for black history month is that black people will find time to rest as the past 12 months have been especially difficult. I also hope that non-black people will take time to learn and unlearn things about black people through listening and reading hashtag black history month. That's beautiful. I actually saw speaking of it wasn't it wasn't a special quote. It was just one of my friends on Facebook posting like a list of movies for Black History Month and said and it was really directed towards everybody. But I heard it as a white person. You know, it's Black History Month. And maybe instead of watching movies that talk about black people's pain, why don't you take some time and look at movies where you can see Black people with joy and love and gave a list of other movies. And it really is that moment where, you know, everybody is like, it's, you know, it's Black History Month. Let's watch 12 Years a Slave. And and while, I mean, nobody do that, you know, but the other thing is, can you also just watch- The Photograph, which is one of the most beautiful love stories I have ever seen. Absolutely. Black cast, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah. I watched Ma Rainey's Black Bottom the other day on Netflix. It's, yeah, I loved it. I love that movie. I thought it was too much like a play, but I thought it was fun. Yeah. I like fun. play type movies. I think yeah. that's me. But I mean, it is, but I loved it. I, the acting, it was very like the acting was stage like acting for sure, yes. but I loved it. It's beautiful um, performance. My God, Viola Davis is a goddess. Can we just say that? Viola Davis is a goddess. She, and then Chadwick Boseman, what a fantastic uh, um, performance. They're saying the Oscar. I hope so. I mean, it's nice for his wife. It would have been nicer. If you were alive. alive. But, you know, I mean, it's the same as what what they did to Heath Ledger. I mean, it was, the thing is Chadwick Boseman has had some amazing performances. There's so many films of his that are just amazing. He played uh, a lawyer that actually made it to the Supreme Court, the black lawyer, Thurgood Marshall. Yes. And that was brilliant. He was brilliant, you know, not recognized. I don't know. I'm very excited for the Golden Globes, even though the Golden Globes has been sort of like hashtag Golden Globes so white because they kind of missed out on a couple of really good shows, you know, that were. I don't know. I don't even know who's. I don't I know only because I I have to follow. I want to talk about shows we've seen. So I want to talk about two shows. One, maybe you've seen because you've seen more than me, but two shows. All right. So one, it's on PBS because you know. I'm a PBS person. So, you yes. know, like I don't have Hulu. I do not have HBO, but I did pay the $50 to get the PBS all access pass so I can watch all my British murder <laughs> mysteries. So no, this one, I'm watching the long song, which is oh. the story of the end of slavery in on Jamaica. Oh, and it is good. But uh, all about Black people's pain, for sure. So it's not something light, but right. really worth watching. It's only two episodes in. They're releasing it once a week. But okay. the main, that woman should win every Emmy. Like she is like, there's horror and there's joy. She is phenomenal. I mean, she can go from comic where you're laughing to tragedy in you know in the span like on her face in in the span of 
60 seconds and it is just phenomenal how good it is and then how real it feels because you're feeling all the feelings and it's just absolutely wonderful and it also made me think of Jet Set Sarah and even just like her talking about knowing Jamaica like all the way through and really knowing the history of Jamaica so that also felt relevant to me but then there's the Bridgerton show which we should talk about because we we both watched it we're both. Big- I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> I know, and I and I we heard a little bit of your thoughts, but it, I, I want to talk about it because nothing like watching some soft porn on Netflix. And yes. I mean, okay. <laughs> I mean, so- how many gratuitous butt shots do we need? I mean, he's, I know he's a handsome man, and I did not mind seeing his beautiful booty. But <laughs> it was like, if we're talking about, I mean, like if that's where how we're many, headed, I mean, like how many times do, do men really go down on their girlfriends that often? They don't. <laughs> I did. I mean, there was so much I did like about the show. I mean, it was, I really, I, of course, am so not into pop music. So everybody's like, oh, the pop music played a string quartets. So I was like, yes, yes I, that I, was interesting. It was interesting, I but I didn't resonate. It didn't resonate with me, but I liked there was a lot I really liked about it. And of course the clothes were great. And of yeah, the course, costumes you know, it was totally unrealistic in so many ways. I'm not even talking about the raceways. I'm even just talking about like how this happened mid like the timing, yeah. the logic of it didn't add up. But oh, there's so many production mistakes that made me feel a certain type of way for Miss Shonda that as someone who works in the industry and that does costume, right? I was appalled at one scene where you see the back of somebody and you can, and they're shirtless and you can see the mic box. I was like, that's bad. I didn't see that's bad. There were manhole covers that were modern. There was some like, yeah, there was so many production errors that it kind of soured me a little. Well, once you notice that stuff, this is once you see a proofreading error, then you see all the errors. So it's that same thing. Like you saw the first, and you did it. I, you know, thank God I'm watching it on an iPad screen and, yeah, so, you know, yeah. <laughs> I didn't catch a lot of it. Cause I just, and I watched all of it straight through. I watched in three days. I did it in three so parts. I, it was one of those nights where Eric woke up at five and he's, what are you doing? I said, I have to finish this. He's like, what? I said, I have three episodes to go. And then it was 8 AM. And I'm like, it got really kind of hokey and stupid at the end, but I needed to like I needed it finished. It's like what I mean. I could suck the fun out of any experience. I pulled a complete all-nighter to finish it. So no, I was not noticing manhole cover. I watched it over three nights, three nights. And yeah, I mean, I mean, there were, it was fun. It was, it it served its purpose for me. And the evening I've decided not to watch the news so much anymore because I was getting stressed out, but now, so I watch like something on Netflix or regular TV, an episode of something every night, and then that's it. And then I, I have my little gummies and then I go to sleep. But so it was entertaining. You know, well, what really- and the race I'm, issue. I mean, so yeah, no, I'm going to, I'm going to get to, I'm going to get right, there. So okay. what happened after the fact, because I'm a big YouTube person, I spend like about an hour on YouTube every day doing mostly Formula One things. But I also follow some women who do videos on like different things. And a couple of these women that I follow did videos on Bridgerton. And and remember, all, like I watched it and it, it, there were some problems that I, I felt immediately the casting being so light like all, you know, and then it was 
billed as being an all, uh, all-inclusive cast, but I didn't see any Latino people. I didn't see any, I think I saw some Asian people in the background, but I didn't see any main characters. So, you know, some things didn't sit with me. Then I watched, but it didn't, I, I couldn't bring it out. Like I couldn't bring it what, what it was until I watched this video. And the woman was like, yeah. So there was race baiting and it just jumped at me. That's what that was. It was the race baiting saying, you know, that all of this, oh, we're so inclusive and it was so wonderful, but yeah, no, it, it you really weren't. And the colorism, like all of the speaking characters that were black, that were rich, were either very light or the, the one dark black woman was the mammy character that took care of him, her his aunt, or, or the mother's best friend or whatever. And then the evil character was extremely dark. And so again, I saw that and I was like, right. That was the main thing that didn't sit with me very well. The, that and the, all the production errors where I was like, if I was on set and I was in charge of costume, I would be furious. <laughs> no, you I know? can imagine. So I have questions. So even let's like take it from a broader swath. Like they, in the plot, they address why there are black people in the aristocracy. Yes. There was that one little line in one episode. Yes. And that also sat wrong with me. Well, the thing that sat wrong with me is that they tried to explain it. And there was that one um, scene between the Duke and his, I guess, father, right? Where- or his oh, yeah. aunt, but like about the concept of black excellence, right? That certainly you need oh, yeah. to be excellent. You need to do this or, you know, we could lose everything. That concept that still yeah. was then. So it was sort of like this bow to systematic racism or the yeah. fact that, you know, there had been this, divi- like somehow something had been different. But yeah. what's interesting to me is then everything else was kind of approached in essence as if there were just black people and white people and everybody was equal all the time and you could appreciate everybody's cultures, but it was just, and it seemed to me that I don't think you can have it both ways. Like it was too light. Yes. Way too light. Way too light to, to sort of say, Oh, because basically, in the end, it was still white people granted black people the ability to have this and gave them something. I mean, that's how yeah. it read, which then is reading like white people can then take it away. So the power dynamic was still there. And so it felt to me like that needed to be addressed, at least by the two main black characters. Mm-hmm. Or you could have gone to say, no, we're actually going to be like the cat, like Hamilton. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And not deal with it at all. We're just going to have a diverse cast and we're going to be like, no, you know what? Guess what, everybody? You know what I mean? Depending on yes. how history occurred, there could be people of different races in aristocratic positions in Great Britain at that time. And then we yes. would have all just done that. It, so it felt weird to me. So that disconnected me a little because oh, it was weird kind of, it was weird okay well good I'm glad and I like the fact that you, you talked about it as far as Hamilton because that was what was happening in my brain and then when I saw this other YouTube video and the girl was like 
she actually delved a bit deeper and looked into the casting director who, because, you know, of course they interviewed the director and the showrunner and this and that. And, and they had this whole, oh, but we're a multicultural and we gave people the parts who really deserved it and this and that. And I was like, so no Latino people came up or Asian people that came up that could do any of these other characters. Also, just the idea of what Britain did is that even just thinking about what Great Britain must have looked like, even just thinking about their other, co- like there were no Indian people. Yeah, there was just, you know what just, I mean? That doesn't even make thing, any sense yeah. at all. So, yeah. So there was this whole thing about the casting and I thought, okay, so they definitely got it wrong. They got their messaging wrong. And that's where the race baiting came in because they wanted black people to watch to me this. what you think race baiting means. Just explain to me. I feel like they were using race as a way of getting black people and progressive white people to watch this show because they specifically build it as a multicultural cast and a multicultural production. Right. Okay. So this is, I found something, the unfair use of statements about race to try to influence actions or attitudes of a particular group of people. That's it. Yes, I do think so. I do think that's exactly what what they did. What they did. I mean, it was a it felt like a marketing ploy. Yeah. I mean, it was entertaining, and I don't want to take it away. Yeah, I liked it. I (laughs) I mean, there are other things I like better, but yeah, I mean, I watched the whole thing all the course the whole night. So I mean, it worked, you know. But the other thing, but I noticed and was uncomfortable with the colorism, and I, you know, because I was noticing that. Too. And I also have to say, like, I also noticed, and and while I know if there's a second season, some of this will be like explored more, the body image issues, because of course the woman who didn't get the didn't get the boy was the fat girl or you know, the overweight girl, but they made her to look like very funny looking and very and overweight and white and clumsy. Like you could choose one, but why have it be the overweight? Especially when my sense is during that time, and correct me if I'm wrong, having meat on your bones back then was actually considered a positive thing. So it's all through the lens of what's yes. trending now. So that's just frustrating. So it seemed to me that there was a lot of stereotyping and casting going on mm-hmm. that seemed unnecessary. And that made me a little bit sad since it was trying to be like, we're so ahead of our time. And I was like, yeah, not really. I don't think so. Not really at all. Um, you, <laughs> know. you know, I watched Pretty Little Things or something like that. I can't remember on Netflix. I, I didn't binge it. I watched it over a week. And it's about ballerinas, but the main character is a Black girl. And that also is really problematic and you know, weird. I, you know, I mean, I watched it because I want, again, I'm trying to support these like shows that have, you know, black people in their main, main characters because we just don't see that enough, but it was just, yeah. I don't know. I think in TV movie, I've said this before. We just need to do better. We just need to do better. What did you think about? Did you watch the queen's gambit? I did. And I loved it. Okay. I also did. And my God, the clothes. Oh my God. She, but that's, see, I loved how they wrote it into the show that she became so obsessed with fashion because while she was, you know, with that woman in the beginning, she had no money for clothes. 
That show, hands down, was probably one of the best ones I saw on Netflix. The best show I saw on, on during COVID was I May Destroy You, which was snubbed by the Golden Globes. But definitely well, I May Destroy You. Wait, let's go back best. to the Queen's Gambit though, because the Queen's Gambit, when I was watching it, and I had I and I did love it. But again, looking at it from a critical point of view, there was it did play into every trope. You know, in the sense that, you know, yes, she goes I into the agree. basement and there's the scary janitor who's the old man and doesn't like to talk to anybody, but he's a wise, he's a wizard of chess. And then we have the sidekick sassy <laughs> black girl and, you know, who doesn't yes. get adopted. And, and then even when she comes back, which I think is great, she's the cool, you know, I, hipster didn't work for 60s. That wasn't the word yep. in the 60s, but it, radical. But the thing that frustrated, it didn't, yes. I was aware of it, but here's what I think the difference is. At some point, I think the black character says to the white character, and I'm sorry, I have forgotten all the names I watched just a while ago, but when she gets back is saying, she said something about tropes or stereotypes so I feel like the writers pointed to the idea that yes we're going to play into some of these after school special stereotypes and have some fun with them and just go there and you know because even for me I was like oh and she's a red-haired girl like orphan Annie like it was it was every (laughs) yeah Yeah, I didn't even go that deep. I just was so enthralled with the story and the costumes and the production that I didn't even notice that. Well, you know, I mean, like I noticed some things. Well, but I did. I just, yeah. I mean, I thought the the lead was so brilliantly acted. I mean, oh my god, she was amazing. And the thing is, when something works, so good. Like I just, I was there. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was there with her this was a real story, you know, it just really well done. So I was happy with that one. Yeah. That was a good one. I watched that at the end, like in December. I just don't, I hate when people get, yeah, people get onto these, Oh, it was the most downloaded thing. And then I'm thinking, and then I go through this thing. Well, did I not watch it? Cause I don't want to, or am I missing out? Or do I want to jump on a bandwagon? (laughs) That's how it was with Bridgerton. I was like, Oh, do I want to? Well, I was really looking forward to it because you know I love British costume drama and I love, you know, I have great appreciation for Shonda Rhimes. And so I was like, this is going to be great. And then, you know, it was okay. But- <laughs> I was so disappointed in the production. I have, I mean, just- I think they anyway. just, they sped it out too fast. It's that thing where they- I don't know, whatever they did, they just, yeah. You know, there was a, there's a movie that's come out that I need to watch on Netflix and it's a black film, um, a black film about love. Okay. Zendaya. So, you know, I'm, oh, because I love Zendaya. Do you know who that is? The actress? No, tell me. Her latest big thing. And she was the youngest actress to win best actress at the Emmys for her role in Euphoria, which was probably one of the greatest dramas from last year. Anyway, she's in a movie called Malcolm and Marie, and I want to watch that. That's my next thing. I'm going to watch that. Not tonight, because I'll probably get done with this too late, but tomorrow. Malcolm and Marie. And that is a Black love story. Okay. 
for anybody who wants to not watch. Oh, here Black I just seen it here. <laughs> yes. And the photograph is my favorite. Oh, yeah. that looks beautiful. There is so much TV. I was just laughing because I think you called her a kid. And so when I Googled, I was expecting a child and she's in her 20s. She's an adult. And you know, yeah. one of the prop one of the backlash of this movie is that people aren't ready to see her as an adult. Oh. Because she yeah. was a Disney girl. She started out in Disney. Oh. And so now this movie is an adult love story. And people are, the backlash is the age difference between her and the male character. And they're like, ah, you know, and I'm like, but, you know, we watch white people. We get to see, what's it, James Bond at 100,000 years old make out with the, like, 25-year-old. Yeah, which, honestly, you know, me out. Bond girl. It grosses me out. That does gross it, it, me out. But exactly. It, but the thing is, we see it all the time. We see it all the time. The oh, old yeah. guy with the, oh, did you see Christopher Plummer died? Yeah, I know. I'm so sad about that. I have to I'm say, very sad about that. Talking. About, I am. I'm really sad about that. What do you have to say? Eric took me to Bouchon and we had a lovely dinner. Oh, and we had the pasta with the white truffles. It was amazing. I did drink too much. Surprise, uh, surprise. I mean, not sick, but, you know, and I'm loud. So we'd got, we had kind of earlier reservations, but we totally were there for three hours. And so it's 1030, maybe even 11, and we're walking out. And I notice along the bench, it's all these old white men with all these young white women. And I'm drunk. So I say really loud, why are all these women with their fathers? And, you know... (laughs) Oh, Alex. <laughs> Eric's like, get. See, that's what it is. That's, it's gross. So I'm like, my, yes, it's gross, but we're used to seeing this. So this is why I don't understand this backlash from this movie. I'm going to watch the movie anyway, because I love Zendaya. I think she is, she is our future. She's our next Viola. But we see this all the time. We see this all the time. I mean, I can, there are so many movies I can think of right now where the male protagonist and the female protagonist, there's such a huge age gap between them. Well, I often check the, I don't, if they're going to play it, I just wish they would point to it and say there's an age difference and then address it. What I don't like is when they're playing it as if it's totally normal for there to be like a 20 year age difference between the woman and the man. That's what sort of irks me when I see that kind of stuff. Not that I, you know, I mean, you fall in love with who you fall in love with, but yeah, you know, yeah. It's- but there's not even a 20 year age gap between Zendaya and the, and the male actor. It's just, I think because she's young, she's 24 or 23 and he may be in his thirties. That's actually more normal Absolutely. than seeing Will Will Smith and, and Margot Robbie in that movie that they were in, where that is like a 13-year age gap. I mean, right. you know, it's just, I don't know. I feel like people are just so weird. Well, it's also gonna... people just want to complain. I mean, the fact is people just want to complain all the time, like what we're doing right now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You know what? We're going to stop with the negativity. Let's talk about positivity. All right, we're going to talk about positivity. Okay, what's positive? No, there's so much that's positive. There's right so now. much that's positive. So Marjorie much. Taylor Greene has been kicked off of her committees. That in itself is a champagne-inducing event. It is. It looks like Biden is going to be able to put through his 1.9 trillion dollar, you know, package without any bipartisan support. 
Fuck you, Republicans. So I, yes, there's a lot of good stuff going on. There is. The the Republican Party is imploding on itself. Yeah. There's it was all negative things for some people, but you're happy about it. <laughs> I'm sad. I love it. No, I mean I'm happy. The I world mean, there is was in the right place. Oh, absolutely. And people are starting to get vaccinations. Yes. The, and like more, that and is starting to happen. It's starting to really roll out, which is very yes. exciting. A negative note on that one. <laughs> Just putting this out there because it's Black History Month. I don't know if you know this, but apparently there have been like big groups of white people that go into the black neighborhoods oh, yeah. and they jump to the front of the line to get the vaccines. And now that in and then and they're not taking enough data to know whether black people are being vaccinated at all. And I'm a little upset with that. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I've heard that's happening just in every single poor neighborhood that white every people are going wherever they can and, yep. and getting it. And pushing in front to get in and get the vaccine. Yes. So, And then you'll have somebody tell me that white privilege doesn't exist. Yes. Of course, there are still people who tell you that doesn't exist. All right, we're going negative again. Skewing yes, negative sorry. again. No negative. Okay, sorry. Oh, no, it's me, just it's part me of me being negative. <laughs> I know what's happening. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but yeah, as far as the vaccine, that was something that I heard today. Generally, about, it's but I'm just better. very excited about the vaccines, and I'm excited about the way they're rolling it out. Do you know that in California, you can sign up to something called MyTurn.ca.gov or something like that, and then they'll let you know when yeah. your turn is happening. And I signed up, and they've already gotten back to me saying that I'm registered. And they will let me know. Yes. I've also registered. So we'll oh, see. So yes. in New Jersey, my dad's experience was that he was registered, but they still would never let him know. And so his, my stepsister is a doctor. And uh-huh. so she was at least able to say they released the appointments at this time. Okay. So he was able to jump on like right at 10 to get the appointments. So that's also a white privilege or just a wealth privilege thing because he was able to do that because there's a doctor in the family who knew how the system worked. And that, you know, if you're just a person who doesn't know that system, you're just going to be waiting and you're going to get it six weeks or eight weeks later. Yeah. Same with my family. I'm not, I'm I'm a total privileged situation. My brother works for the VA hospital. He's an administrator. He got it and he made the appointments for my parents and now they got it and they're getting their, they Everybody's gotten their second vaccination now. Wow. My dad's getting that the end. I think the end of the month. I mean, we're like people in California have been like saying, oh, educators will be able to get it sooner, like jump in line sooner. And I'm having uncomfortable feelings about that as a law professor where our school is not open this semester, where I've been like, I'm not going to jump in front of somebody when I know the school isn't opening until May. That just feels like yeah. privilege, you know, like I, I get it that we need to get our kindergarten. We need yes, to get kindergarten, kindergartens. Through. We need to get those groups, those young groups of kids back in school as soon as possible. But that also means that they're ha- really in the end, those households of those kids need to be vaccinated and they need to be vaccinated ahead of me. Like, I don't, I get that it makes it all messier, but I'll, when they send me the email saying, you can go, I will go, but I'm not going to strive to jump in line. There's, I, it really leaves a tinny taste in my mouth, you know, that there's something wrong with that. I'm very privileged. I have my job. 
you have a nice house, you know, I'm getting a lot done. So (laughs) (laughs) being at home, it's been great. (laughs) But you know, like I do feel that teachers need to get it. I also feel that in order for the kids to go back to school, it's more than just the teachers getting the um, getting the vaccination though. There needs to be better testing. There needs to, you know, have they just they need better ventilation in schools. They just oh, yeah. they, they, well, money needs to get thrown to the schools so that they can actually do this properly. It can't absolutely. just be putting it all on the teachers getting vaccinated. Because again, that's like throwing I hate the way we throw teachers under the bus all the time. You've got to teach the kids to this. You've got to make sure the kids um, don't fall behind, but we're only going to pay you $12,000 a year. We're only going to give you like $200 for school supplies. We're only going to do this. I mean, like at some point, we've got to realize that they're our priority and start throwing money at that situation. Oh, absolutely. But even with the vaccinations, I understand it's complicated and I get it, but- I don't logically understand that if the vaccination doesn't necessarily stop you, the vaccinated person, from passing it, that if you have children in the classroom who could catch it from you mm-hmm. and then they take it home, even though they might not get it as badly, they might not die, but they take it home to, to their, their family. family yeah, it, and those people are not vaccinated. I do not see how school just opens without a plan. And so yeah. I agree with you. It's the idea that there still needs to be a plan, and mm-hmm. I have yet to sort of see that. I do know that my sister's kids' schools in Wisconsin, they've been they've really done a good job. I mean, you had a choice to go virtual or to go to school and you had to make a commitment for eight weeks. And then every eight weeks you could switch or do something else. So they sort of worked in terms. And what's interesting is that, you know, her kids, she decided to go live. They don't have a real, you know, they don't have a lot there, a lot of COVID there, but Candace is, you know, as soon as somebody's infected, like they, the kids are constantly being quarantined for two weeks, but then they go on to the zoom lesson and then they're back. The kids wear masks all the time. It's, she says it's really cute. Like all the kids have little pimples all over their nose, but nobody cares about it anymore. Like they just wear it all the time. And she says there just has been so few cases. They're well ventilated. I mean, obviously it's a pretty wealthy school system. So in that sense, I mean, in all the, they're beautiful schools with lots of their newer schools. So they Mm -hmm. have like windows to the outside, but it's just kind of working and the kids, have, it's not perfect. She's no, like there are things about it that it's hard. The kids are home, like every, she's you get used to it, but it's every two weeks, one of your kid is home for two weeks quarantining. Like she's, cause they've been exposed. Yeah. So you get into that rhythm, but she's, my kids are at least in a rhythm, yeah. you know, and that's something. And it seems like people are, are handling it well. And we're bigger. There's, it's just harder when you've got more people. Things are more complicated. So I would not want any of those jobs. Do you think we should, we're go, we've been going over an hour. So we're going to close up soon. Yeah, of course. Cause it's you and me. So what? It doesn't even feel like an hour. I know. Do you think Newsom will get recalled? I don't know. There's a lot of anti-Newsom sentiment. I know. The hairdressers, the hairdressers, man. 
I know. <laughs> I know. Hairdresser. My hairdresser. I haven't. I mean, she, and honestly, a little bit rightfully so. I mean, I don't understand how you can. The rate of transmission is very low when it comes to hairdressing and nail salons. Yeah, that's what I mean. And that's what makes it kind of ridiculous that it really is the economy of lobbying, right? So the idea that restaurants would stay open and we wouldn't keep those open, but even just the idea that you could go to your dentist, which I get is necessary, but you know, if we were saying that kind of close contact is bad, then maybe you would say only dental emergencies, not just going to get your teeth whitened. Yeah. So the idea, it, it's not a clear straight line yep. and they cut off an entire group of people. And I'm, I applaud people who've been suing the state and yep. protesting. I, I think it's right. And I, you know, he started out doing a really great well, job. You know that Gavin, his winery is still open and has been open the whole time. Well, that's right. And that's another, right. It's well, I'm not going to go into gossiping about Gavin Newsom when he was mayor of San Francisco, because that's bringing up old stuff. Yeah, I mean, I know, but, I'm just... <laughs> but, you know, he used to be married to Kimberly Guilfoyle. So, yeah, that I can just not imagine. I cannot imagine that. But I, I mean, I do think he's just right now, he's oh, it just looks like he's overwhelmed and I have empathy, but it's he's not just sort of pulling back refiguring out everything and starting again and he really needs to do it and it's a shame because I thought he was doing a good job before you know up until that in the beginning of the pandemic I thought him and um Garcetti were really absolutely you know like they they had it under control but then they kind of yeah they kind of it's really it's July like when they did the first opening and it wasn't and then how they're managing it it just isn't clean and honestly California is too big to sort of make these sweeping state decisions because things are different per county. So it's hard. I'll be interesting to see. I mean, we did recall a governor in the last 30 years. We recalled Gray. So, I mean, it happens in California. So, you know, where some people might be just rolling their eyes and say, that'll never happen. I'm like, no, it has happened before. So I'm kind of waiting and seeing. I just, we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm more invested in the impeachment trials me too me too yeah that'll be well i want him to be just stripped of his travel like when i hear about all the money he gets for the rest of his life i want that gone i want him gone yes and no more security no security briefings i just we want him to like basically be erased from history yeah well, I want him to be in Mar. I want him to be secluded in his little tiny castle. Let him play golf. But they don't even want him. No, I know nobody wants him. They don't even nobody want him. him. I mean, and and it's already. I read in CNN this morning that they, the people of Marla, the the town or whatever it is in Marlago, have been like, nope, you can't stay here. You agreed that you wouldn't. That this is not a residence. This is a club. So you can't stay here. And it's going to go to court. And he's going to have another court hearing for something else that he can't afford. I know. Well, what are you doing the rest of the night? I'm going to watch. I'm on episode five of season two of Drive to Survive. Okay. Because the new season of Drive to Survive will drop very soon. And I just want to be up to date. And I'm going to delve into some F1 gossip and news. That sounds very exciting. Yes, there's a lot happening. 
It's a I, I am going to have dinner with Eric and then I am going to play Assassin's Creed Odyssey. <gasps> and Ooh. I am going to take a Ford, take a Fort. That's what I'm going to do. Do you play this every night? No, but I'll usually play three nights a week. So I'll play for about an hour. I'll just wander around as Cassandra. And I love how I've dressed her. She looks like she's going to Burning Man, but her arms are like this. And she's a badass with it. Like I have her fighting with a staff and I'm very happy. We can talk about video. You know, that's another episode. That's an episode. That's your, that's going to be your episode. That also is another representational issue with that one as well. There's a lot. Why don't we find a gamer? Let's find a gamer and, and let's talk about this. All right, that's what we're gonna do. All right, so everybody, make sure to listen to us, womenbridgingthegap.com. Join us on Facebook, join us on Instagram. Tell us what you wanna hear. If you have something to say and you wanna join our conversation, send us an email. Yeah, we're starting to get like fans come in and we're actually gonna have a fan on in a week or so who's going to talk about her very own issue. And I am looking forward to that. I am too. I am too. All right. Well, have a good night, Lenya. You too, Alex. Bye.